Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online Masters of Social Work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. Welcome to the Lore of Us podcast, where the lore hounds your guides to a fungal apocalypse. I'm John. And I'm David. And this is our coverage of the final episode of the HBO series, The Last of Us. In this podcast, we'll be discussing our general thoughts about the episode before getting into our in-depth scene-by-scene breakdown of Season 1, Episode 9, Look for the Light, followed by a listener feedback section. Be sure to stick around to the end of the podcast for programming notes about our podcasting schedule for the rest of March. Next week, we will have our season wrap-up podcast, and we want your feedback for that show. So send us an email to tlou at thelorehounds.com, or visit us on our website. There's a contact form and a cool voicemail feature. Just click the button, start recording, and that's all you got to do, and we can splice it into our next episode. You know, David, I hear that next episode on the season wrap, we're going to have a cameo from Mrs. Lorehound herself to talk spoilers for the second game. So if you have spoilery questions... Send them in. I will field the emails this week, just in case. And uh, yeah, send them in if you want to discuss it, and we'll take questions for that, too. That sounds exciting. It sure is. We also have our own Discord server. It's a great community with lots of thoughtful conversations, so please join us there to talk more about The Last of Us and all the other shows we're covering. Link is in the show notes and on our website. Also, a quick heads up about our Patreon. We've got one. And it's a really important part of our ability to produce all the different projects and shows that we're working on. So if it works for you, please consider subscribing today at patreon.com slash the lorehounds. For just $3 a month, you get ad-free versions of all our podcasts, early access to new podcasts, occasional post-credit bloopers, and more perks down the pipeline. So stay tuned. Lastly, we'd like to ask that if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment and rate us on Apple Podcasts. You've all been doing such a great job, and thank you so much for the reviews. It's great to see them. really helps us out, so keep them coming. Yep, and the ratings and the reviews actually have a real uh, impact on the podcast. It helps other people find the podcast when they're searching for things. We show up higher in the rankings, and so um, the more people listen to us, the more podcasts we can make. So, David... This is the episode we've all been waiting for. (laughs) This is the one. I said last week, you know, the ending is what stuck with me for 10 years since the original game. Yeah. What did you think of it? I had a very strong emotional reaction. I'm Uh, sure. I even had to shut down for a little while and swallow my feelings like Joel has for the last (laughs) 20 years or something. Um, I think over the course of the day, I've I've come to some clear resolution. had some good chatter on the Discord. Our buddy Jean from MCU, uh, uh, MC Universe uh, fame gave me a call. Yeah, he was tripping out. Uh, so he called me this afternoon just before we got on the, on the mics. So we talked it through a little bit there. Um, yeah, and I've got, I've got takes for cakes. Um, yeah. yeah. 
There's some really good stuff here. I'm angry <laughs> at Joel. I'm angry at the showrunners for a couple of things, but not because they did a bad job, uh -huh. but because they did a very good job. But I still don't like what, you know, I, I'm, my, my emotional reaction to what has occurred is the appropriate, is an appropriate reaction. Right. And so I love the show, you know, everything about it, the writing, the, the acting, blah, da, 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 da. It's the, um, the way that they set things up and the way that they did things and then things that Joel did. I'm having a negative in-show reaction, right? Not an out-show reaction. So that's kind of where I am. Um, but I've simmered down a little bit and I, I think I'm... And doing the, the recap, like the outline today really helped me clarify a lot of thoughts and think about things. And then, yeah, all the conversations we had on our Discord and with some other people, um, I've got some clearer head about it. Cool. Cool. I've been loving our Discord conversation because it, it is a terrible moral problem that Joel has run up against. Yeah. And there is honest debate about his choice on our Discord. Mm -hmm. And that's the point. That is the point of this game. Yes. You know, I've, I've been teasing this season. I've been trying to be really good about not spoiling and not like leading you down the road of knowing what's coming. And kudos to you, John, for doing that because you really held your tongue really well. And I never felt like you were seeding. You were just like, you know, there was anticipation or excitement, but never once did you tip your hand or spoil the show for me. So good job. Well, I appreciate it. I'm glad it worked. The thing that I said that I thought I almost went too far on was... Ellie and Joel both temper each other when yes. they are together. And if you separate them, God help you. Yeah. <laughs> and we saw that in this episode. And that is exactly how the show and the game end. Yeah. Uh, the, w the first time I played the game, because that's really what I have to judge my reaction on, right? Because that's, that's when I found out what happened. The first time I played the game, the only thing I could compare this to as far as my emotional reaction is the Red Wedding. Okay. Is seeing a twist so profound and so shocking, yet when you look back, it makes total sense. That's what we're looking at here, right? Because Joel's emotional journey leads to this point. It doesn't need to, but this is definitely a logical ending for his emotional journey. And it says such an interesting thing about love. Love mm -hmm. is such a powerful thing and such an emotional thing that it can lead to beautiful things, you know, the things we do for love, but it can also lead you to really destructive paths. Right. And we saw that on full display here. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you about that, that, that central question, but I think I have a different point of view on when and how that stuff started and what, what I perceive as to, to what happened with Joel's emotional journey. Okay. So I don't know if you want to, if you had another point you wanted to make or if we're ready to get into that or. Well, I think we can get into that as we go through the episode. So why don't we get started? All right, John. Uh, so this was the shortest episode of the entire season at 43 minutes. Did this, um, did this catch you off guard at all? Because it, it really took me, uh, I, like I was really, I was really stunned. I don't know how I learned, but I, uh -huh. I knew beforehand that it was going to be oh, 43 you did. minutes. Yeah, so it was oh, not shocking okay. to me. I knew it was okay. going to be really short. It actually felt longer than that for me because okay. it was just so well done. Like, I was just engrossed. Time dilation. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I thought it was interesting. And I think, you know, and there's some, I've heard some other discussion that people are questioning that decision about the length. Oh, did I have time to breathe? Do I want more? You know, whatever. And we, I think it's just, it's as important to judge a show on the decisions that the showrunners made, right? Uh Um, and, And not the ones that they didn't make. They made a choice to go to 43 minutes. That was their choice, and there was a reason for it. And so far, I've trusted these guys on all their choices. And at least for me, the emotional state that I was left in at the end was bewilderment, shock. You know, I'm, I'm dealing with the, the okay line, and then bang, they end it. And I was like, and so it really double whammied me uh, on the shock value. And I, I would argue that that was intentional. That this forty-three minute time frame was specifically intentional to power through, you know, to to punch us right in the face, you know, um, with all of the stuff that we dealt with. Because then we don't have time to linger, we don't have time to process. We're in that moment of just like gua, and that's it, and we have to be with it. Put yourself in my shoes in twenty fourteen. I I watched that scene. So the last five minutes of the episode, I would say, are just shot for shot from the game. Because it's okay. a perfect ending, I think. And they just didn't want to mess with it. You know what right. Craig Mazin said on the official podcast? He goes, if you change the ending of The Last of Us, you're a, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And just a reminder for, for everyone listening, we usually do this at the top of the scene breakdown. John's played the games, knows all the lore and the details. I am completely a novice to uh, this property. I don't listen to the before and after you know, sections or the official podcasts. So I'm just trying to react. I'm trying to be the person just reacting to the material as presented on the show. So just to re-clarify that for if we've got any new listeners. So we're in 2014. I've just played this for the first time. There is no promise of a sequel. None. We have no idea that one's in development. Maybe some people did. I didn't. Right. And this is just the ending. Okay. Cut to black. Credits. I was emotionally wounded. (laughs) and i still haven't recovered but part two no part two didn't help it made me even sadder okay (laughs) but yeah it's 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 such a bleak ending it's so i i played this when my wife and i were first dating i think we'll tell more of the story when we were we uh do our spoiler section but i and we i looked at her and i was like that's the ending because she had played it before and she goes yeah it's just that's it (laughs) Right. And we just kind of looked at each other for a while. And then I just had to be silent for a while. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That is a, that is a within norms reaction to, to this. I, I think it would be normal for one to light one's hair on fire, <laughs> run, maybe run around the room screaming a little bit, um, go outside and scream at the sky, shaking your fist. Yeah. Um, all of these, I think, would be within the, the standard deviation of uh, behaviors acceptable. Well, you know... The other thing is, this is a video game, right? And you're playing from the perspective of Joel. True. So when I get to that scene, I guess, I guess I'm just going to get into it now because I just have to now. When, when you get to that scene and they say, Ellie, Ellie is in pre, you know, prep. All right, go start walking down. And then it just gives you the instruction, save Ellie. I don't remember <laughs> if that's exactly how they phrase it. But this is the point in a game where most games would have either had you take the moral choice and, and just leave. Or they would have had you have a choice, right? They might have mm. given you a choice, like, do you want to save Ellie or save the world? 
This game said, no, fuck you. Mm. You're going to massacre a hospital. Right. Right. And then you do. And it just happens. It's, and it's interesting, too. It, I, I wonder, how, in a video game, it's like, oh, yeah, I killed a dozen, you know, mooks. Uh, you know, no big deal. Like, my, my ratio is low, right? I, or, you know, I could have done more. But when we see it on screen like this, it is shocking. Oh, it I mean, people beg for their lives in the games, to too. It is, meant, it sure. is made to be shocking in the game, too. Like, okay. you, right. I felt badly doing it in the game. Oh, God. <laughs> That's wild. So, yeah, it was meant to be shocking. It was just as shocking in the show. I don't know which one was more shocking for me. Doing it was pretty traumatic, too, you know? But they really did a great job in the show. I love the music in that part. Let's, let's get into it. Let's get into it and get there. All right, sounds good. Uh, so uh, we get a very long previously on segment, which basically gives us an entire overview of the entire series. Um, and then we get a cold open flashback. We open on a pregnant woman who we later learn is named Anna running through the woods, and we hear the sounds of an infected, and we see the skyline of Boston in the distance as she arrives at a farmhouse. So Ashley Johnson, who is playing Anna here, uh, I, I understand is the voice actor of Ellie in the game. Yeah, she is. And she played a huge role, and I've talked about it in previous podcasts. She really did develop the character alongside Neil Druckmann. You know, okay. she was the one who said Ellie would have fought back here. She would not mm -hmm. have just stood there. And right. She, she is Ellie she, in, in almost every way. And the way that she described it, she was on the official podcast this week. She hasn't been ever before, but she was on the official podcast this week, and it was sort of like passing the mantle to Bella Ramsey. Mm -hmm. Nice. Very cool. And, and it's interesting, too, because she's birthing Ellie in the show, and right. she birthed Ellie in the game as well. So it was kind of a cool, you know, little, little uh, overlay there. Exactly. Ashley Johnson, apparently, I, I didn't really realize this until I, I did a quick look up on her, and she's also one of the actors on Critical Role, okay. so, uh, which is a hugely popular Dungeons & Dragons uh, live play thing that spun off the, um, the Critical Role animated series on Amazon. Um, so I thought that was interesting. She's a very busy actor right, right now. Yeah. And God, she looks like Bella, or Bella looks like her. They look, yeah. they look alike. They kind of, they really yeah. did a good job. Which is, which is funny. I don't think they even auditioned people for this. I think they just called her, unlike right. other people. Yeah. Like Marlene had to audition. Oh, interesting. Yeah, but but yeah. Uh, Ashley maybe Johnson her was and the Joel guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know if Troy Baker had to audition. Probably, probably. Okay. But I don't know. That was a smaller role, so it probably mattered less with uh, with the audition process. Uh, missable detail. When we pan back on the uh, 10 miles outside of Boston or whatever it is, which is not 10 miles out of Boston, let me right. tell you that. Oh, absolutely. Um, we can see the Boston skyline, but on the silo next to the house, there's a Firefly logo painted up at the top near the dome. So if you go back, look for that detail. It's kind of cool. So this is a Firefly safe house that she's running to. Right. And I don't know, you probably knew this. I mean, like, I, I think I kind of picked up instantly, like, that this was going to be a flashback and that this was going to be, you know, our origin story for, for Ellie, literally. Well, we never got an origin story for Ellie in the game. This is the first time we get it. Okay. They never explain Ellie's immunity in the game. Interesting. Never, ever. And okay. this is interesting to me. At first, I was actually kind of opposed to it because I said, you know, if you make it make sense like that and you make it something that could happen, like, I'm sure that she's not the only pregnant woman to ever be bitten, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But I guess it is pretty limited circumstances, right? She has to be bitten close enough to the birth, right before the birth, 
Yeah. And a lot, most pregnant women are not going to leave like the QZ or leave their safe house. Sure. Near their due date. Right. And she just, I don't, I don't know why, but she just happened to be out and about and she got bitten. So I mean, maybe she was bit like for a few minutes beforehand. I don't know. It might not have been, I don't think it was actually the infected that was on top of her because it doesn't make sense for her to have a leg bite from that. I think she was running away from a few infected. All right. So there is, I think there's some internet speculation about that as yeah. well, um, yeah. that she might have been bitten before. Yeah. I assumed that in the moment that it was happened in that moment because the infected did come up on her like right. that. So that That's could have true. been possible. So I don't think I, it I don't think anyway. It, yeah. No, not, not in a, I mean, in a nitpicky, you know, like detailed way. Yes. But in the, you know, for, for what we're, we're dealing with, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Yeah. And I think we needed it to be a leg bite because you wanted her to have more time with Ellie. Right. And it shows, yeah, I, I think that's a really good part, important part. And then it, it also when Marlene shows up, that we can see the bite clearly, like it's going to make sense. Right. It's, it's like, oh, right. It's in the small of my back. You can't see it, but I got bit. Right. You know, it's like right. lots of choices there. So, all right. So uh, Anna runs inside and calls out, which lets us know that this is a safe house rendezvous situation. Her water breaks and then she barricades herself in an upstairs bedroom and takes out a switchblade. Yeah, Ellie's switchblade. Yeah, exactly. I like the detail here too. That like this show is is trafficked consistently in real world details. And one of the things that I appreciated here is when she's trying to open the doorknob, she's got to stop and get her dress because her hands are wet because her her water had broke. And so right, right you know, it was slippery and it it added an extra little moment. So I just love all of these real-world details that they throw in, even though we're dealing with a fantastical situation with cordyceps, you know, writ large. Right, right, yeah. So did that tree that was uh, on the wallpaper above her kind of look like the white tree of Gondor to you? It was Where black, was but... Gondor? <laughs> they didn't answer the call. They rang, they lit the fires, but they didn't come. It's true. They should have saved Anna. But I thought it was an interesting framing device. I, you know, I didn't know... I think it was the Tree of Life, right? Is that what it is? Let's look it up now. Um, I, you know, here's a, a sidestep personal interpretation of it. Like, one thing that this could symbolize is um, all of the branching out possibilities that uh, are occurring from the birth here. Like, this whole, like, pathways of sequences and choices that millions of, you know, Lots of people are going to take, or it kind of looks very much like um, uh, cordyceps, you know, spreading out as well. So there's a couple, it, it works on a few different levels, how you want to interpret it. There's a tree of life image. Does that look familiar? I think that's it, right? Okay. That's, yeah. Certainly. I think we got it. Okay. Right in. Yeah, for sure. The infected breaks through the door and attacks Anna. She struggles to keep it off and then uses the switchblade to stab it several times before landing a killing blow. Yeah, so uh, very reminiscent of her of Ellie killing the infected that was attacking Riley, right? Exactly, right? That side uh, to the side of the head kind of uh, yeah. stabbing motion. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And this is really where I was just like, oh, dang, the lookalike between these two actors is like strong. Like yeah. I, they really made her feel like Ellie. So it's like, if you didn't know already, like they're giving you, they're dropping every clue uh, along the way. Something that is interesting is that 
Uh, Ashley Johnson, unlike the other voice actors that we've seen pop up in the show so far, her voice is basically just Ellie's voice, right? Like, it, she does mm-hmm. not really put on a voice for Ellie. So hearing her in the show have a completely <laughs> different dialogue was really interesting because I'm just like, this is just Ellie in my brain. This is right. just Ellie's voice. That's and, she, and it really was meaningful to see her go, you know, you're tough. You know, you, right. you, are, you are tough. You are Ellie. And I support you. And Ashley Johnson, by the way, was wildly supportive of Bella Ramsey on the, sh- on the podcast. She said, you know, That's great. when she met her, when she saw her act like Bella, she just knew it was her. Sorry, right. act like Ellie. It was, she knew it was her. And this, you know, again, kudos to the creative team and to everybody involved in the decisions to do this casting, as well as for an outfit like Naughty Dog to be able to go to HBO and say, hey, we want the original voice actors involved because they were so involved in the, in the construction of this game. So we're going to do honor to that. But these actors are also going to bring their A games right. and up the level of our production by just being on set, you know, just by being around with the other actors, not coaching them in or anything like that, but just being there, that's going to create this even more energized thing and when people when creatives are energized like that right you want to create more and so i I just have nothing but respect for the people making these decisions and to bring in the original actors like that i just think it's it's classy it's very very classy and you can just tell that ashley johnson is feeling emotional in this Mm -hmm. you know she is into this herself into this franchise and it just it really came through i loved it she did an excellent job. Yep. We hear the cries of a baby as Anna suddenly realizes that her daughter has been born during the fight. She also realizes that she's been bit and quickly cuts the umbilical cord. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's how the cordyceps was transferred, right? It worked fast, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess, you know, the debate about whether, you know, she was bit earlier or in the scene. But obviously, um, you know, maybe you can be, you know, you know, the changes, maybe it can get into your blood system. And, and if it's, I think there's some big uh, arteries and veins in your thigh right there. So, hmm. you know, how quickly it gets up and, you know, the placental, I don't know. We need, a, we need our doctor to write in. So there is a thing that mothers pass on antibodies to their children. Mm-hmm. That is a real right. thing. It is. In the womb, they will pass on antibodies. So yep. the question is, are there antibodies then in Anna? Because how does, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's a little bit hand wavy, right? It's a little science fiction and that's fine. I'm good with that. Were you, uh, did you attend uh, the, the births of either of your children? I was there both times. Okay. Were you? Yes, I, I was. And I was like, well, not, a, not stay... at my children's birth, but your child's no, birth. No, yes, exactly. My <laughs> child's birth. And I was trying to stay focused with my spouse and um, then the doctor was like, uh, you know, here's your, here's your child. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And then, and then they're like, here. And they like, you know, give me a pair of scissors and like stick this thing in me. And they're like, uh. cut the umbilical cord. And I was like, huh? What? Like, I was happy to be there and be a part of it all. I didn't need to, to participate in the actual medical aspects of it. But I did it, and you know, and it was fine, and it was it was cool and and, and weird, um, at all at the same time because it's the miracle of life and and all of that. Uh, and then I just just a the a side anecdote too is just like 
pr- just prior to delivery, the the room is starting to swirl, and the doctor, and we had an intern in there, and you know all the you know and the nursing staff and stuff, swirl, swirl, swirl. Baby delivered. Hey, great! Here's your baby. Oh, cute! Uh, nice, 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 nice. And then whew, they all left. And we're sitting in this cold, empty operating room that's a mess, right? And and with this being that we're like, uh, are you sure you're supposed to just leave us with it? You know? And and we're just there going, wow, okay, that was that was birth. All right. <laughs> Good job. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah, and then they just left us alone. And then we had to like wait for a couple hours till we got our recovery room. Um, yeah. Because it was kind of in the middle of the night uh, gotcha. at that time. But it was like it was like, oh, excitement, excitement, excitement. And then everybody left. <laughs> yes. Agreed. Yeah, no, my wife was a C-section both times, so I didn't get to cut the umbilical cord because they don't want you over there because it's a right. lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Uh, but I did, they, they Lion king the baby both times. You know, they hold, there's a tarp oh, right. that separates so you can't see the surgery. <laughs> so they Lion king the baby up for you. That's funny. Um, I definitely want our our doctor uh, to write in and and, uh, see if she's got any insights into this spontaneous birth. I mean, I get it that the infected is violently crawling over uh, uh, Anna and she's violently, you know, reacting and trying to stab to get this thing off. And then the baby's just born. And I was like, whew, you know, I mean, I, I understand that in subsequent births i mean we don't know how many children anna's had but uh, you know delivery will oftentimes get easier with subsequent children uh-huh or is this just because of the the violent motion of the of i think the that's right that's going on yeah yeah i think that's right um i mean you see all those shows of people who didn't know they were pregnant and then go to the bathroom and there's a baby right, in the toilet, right? <laughs> so i i don't yeah. think it's out of the question okay I don't know if I rely on those shows for my medical advice, but I'll well, take it. Well, I will. I will. <laughs> I watch reality TV, so I'll use it as a source. <laughs> Another amazing thing, too, in this production is that they used a real baby. A, a real baby baby. It's incredible. Yeah. So I have details on it. The, oh, you do? Yes, I do. So they hired a boy and a girl baby that okay. were fraternal twins, and... They tried to use both, and the boy was a terrible actor, and the girl was a good actor, <laughs> and they realized it would Natch. be more expensive to use the boy because they had to doctor up his uh, right his, uh, his <laughs> down there genitalia. Yes, right. and uh, so the girl ended up being the actor, and and apparently they just naturally bonded her and Ashley. Amazing, that's wild, and and so. I've been on a few smaller sets, and I've been on a one or two bigger sets, too. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of lights. There's a lot of equipment. You know, you've got to be safe in a lot of things. And there are very strict rules and regulations around children actor, you know, child actors, for whether it's a modeling shoot or whether it's uh, uh, on-screen stuff, about number of hours they can work and all of these kinds of things. And so for them to real to use a real infant that looked very newborn to me, I mean, granted, they put on some, you know, uh, uh, whatever, makeup-y stuff, and the child's going to be there, and it's cold, and there's noise. I mean, that they did that is, is shocking to me, just absolutely shocking. Right. In yeah. a good way, right? The kid did a good job, got a good career ahead of her. And then we get a series of close-up shots of mother and daughter bonding in the first moment, moments of, of postpartum life. You fucking tell him, Ellie, okay? Yeah. <laughs> You're so tough. I got you. It's okay. That was just, I mean, it was so, the line was, first of all, so Ellie. Yeah. And hearing Ellie's voice say that mm. 
was a really nice way to really pass that on and really show, you know, she's giving birth to the new Ellie. She's passing this on with respect. Right. And beautiful shots of mother and child together, uh, you know, and and the the close-ups and the uh, just the angles and the lighting. It was just gorgeously done. And and just, again, such great detail, uh, tying the umbilical cord off, you know, all of the things. I just really... Uh, respect to the 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 whole production team for what they pulled off there. Yeah. So beautiful. And then, so here you are, postpartum. You're trying to love on your child, and you know that you're about to die, and that you're right. about to turn into a flesh eating zombie, and that your flesh eating self is going to consume your newborn child. Right. Like how effed up is that? That is just so so terrible. I think she was praying that Marlene There's, got back in Marlene time. was going to get time. Sure. Of course. Yeah. But still, you don't get to see your child now, right? Like all the things to, that you want to teach them and be part of their lives and to see them grow, like all of that. You've got to take every last drop of that in this moment because you've right. got nothing else. This is it. Right? This is it. Uh, you know, and, and, and then like, you know, everything about your being... Uh, in that moment with a newborn too is like, got to protect. Is it warm? Does it need food? You know, like what do we got, what do we got to do here to not even be able to feed your child right. in, in fear that you're going to pat. Cause you know, I don't know, is the cordyceps going to go through the breast milk or not? I don't Who know. Knows? Right. Like yeah. that is just so terrible. I mean, that's really the stuff that Druckmann and Mason are so good at, right? Yeah. They give us this beautiful scene of mother and child and then they tinge it with this, like, oh. Yeah, um, newborn story now. So okay. after we got out of the C-section, they put me in the recovery room while they patched up my wife. And I oh, had the, the baby. Uh-huh. I had the baby. And uh, he looks at me like, I don't know you. I'm hungry. This is Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. This is Obi-Wan. And I am just pissed, man. I am just going to scream in your face. His lip trembles. He's so mad at me. because, And I'm like, it's okay. Mama's coming. And oh, He's man. like, where is it? Where's the boob? Like, where? So my wife and I were discussing how different it was to have, <laughs> to, to see Ellie, baby Ellie, uh, just calm, hanging out, hungry, but just hanging out. No, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. My, my son came out mad. <laughs> he was like, "I'm hungry, yo." <laughs> like, right. you don't have the you, where? Where are you at, man? Exactly, where are you at, Dad. <laughs> That's hilarious. All right, well, then we get our opening credit sequence, um, and then we fade in with firefly lights in the woods, and we see Marlene and her patrol arri- arriving at the farmhouse at night. They enter the house cautiously and tactically clear the downstairs after they see evidence of a, a broken window. Marlene hears Anna upstairs singing and enters the room, and we see Anna holding the knife to her own neck. I think the point is that if she feels herself starting to change, Mm -hmm. she will slit herself and just hope that Ellie survives without her. Yeah. Yep. Which is just the darkest thing I could possibly think of. Yeah. And and what a what a trauma to to like be Marlene and the other fireflies to walk in on that scene, right? right. Like where Anna's bled out and the baby, uh, yeah, like oh, I don't need to go there any further. <laughs> I just went. I apologize, dear listeners, if that <laughs> caused any trauma on you. Uh, I love the 
lights in the forest as the patrol is sort of coming in from the woods because the their flashlights made me really think of fireflies, you know, yeah. in the, you know, summertime light. Well, when um, you're lost in the darkness, you got to look for the light. That's exactly right. And the whole scene was just shot beautifully with the flashlights, using the flashlight as our point of view for the camera, moving around through the house, side illuminating, you know, people, uh, just really gorgeous, gorgeous uh, uh, production. I, yeah. I can't sing the praises enough here for this. So. How beautiful is it that they open the series with the title, When You're Lost in the Darkness, and they explicitly tell you this is going to mirror the first episode with Look for the Light. This right. is the answer to the first episode, right? Right. Oh, this yeah, that's what good call. Joel is yeah. going to... This is Joel's answer. I didn't even think about it. This whole episode. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, yeah, and, and Joel, when when the guy is conf- when he's confronted in the alleyway about like you know look for the light, he's like, if you tell me that, I'm going to punch you in the face, which <laughs> right. he does to to everybody here in this episode. All right, Marlene sees the bite mark and realizes what's happened. Anna lies about cutting her umbilical cord before being bit. Anna names Ellie and instructs Marlene on her final wishes. Marlene initially balks. How long have we known each other? Our whole lives. So pick her up right now, and then you kill me. <laughs> I was, uh, can I have an emotional reaction right now? <laughs> like, good Lord. Wow. <laughs> the delivery, too, of this series of lines by Ashley Johnson is just incredible. Just incredible. Yeah. She's always been great at selling that angst. Yeah. Which is why she was a great Ellie. <laughs> exactly. This very much mirrored Riley and Ellie, right? Sure. Okay. How so? T- say more. Just this whole idea of, you know, we're just going to, like, you're going to, you've known me forever and you're going to help me get through this infection in, right. in whatever right. way we decide, right? I mean, obviously they yeah. choose a different path here, but, you know, I, I think it kind of mirrors it. I mean, Ellie had to kill Riley in the end, even if that wasn't the plan. Right. And this is where the show really excels because even though, we may not have direct parallels. We've got all of the, you know, or, or direct overlaps. We've got all these really nice parallels that reinforce the story at different points and echo things really nicely. So, yeah, that's a, that's a totally good pickup. This is what kind of a moral choice that, that Ellie and Riley had to face. Right. And the show is great at doing these mirrored situations with a twist, right? Showing you sort mm-hmm. of a funhouse mirror version of mm-hmm. a situation you've already seen. Kind of like when Ellie looks at herself in the Victoria's Secret uh, reflection mirror, right? It's not dead on, it's close, and it's not, you know, it doesn't quite line up, but it's still there. So yeah. There will be no cigar. No. <laughs> Interesting that Ellie was born into a lie. Yeah. And then at the end of this episode... Ellie is confronted with a lie, and we there's debate about you know whether she accepts that or not. We we'll get there, um, but I just thought I thought it was interesting. Again, this this weird echoing and paralleling, weird this you know really nice echoing and paralleling, is is that you know what would Marlene have done if um, Anna said I didn't cut the umbilical cord until after she was you know I you know I saw I was bit then cut the umbilical cord so I don't know what Ellie's status is. What would Marlene have done then? Well, I think Marlene knows she's lying anyway. You think so? How would that have happened? Oh, I, I gave birth and then suddenly a, a, an infected attacked me? 
I don't uh-huh. think so. I don't buy it. Well, I mean, but that goes with the the fact of like when was she actually bit? Right? Was right. she was she bit when the when the infected came running into the room or earlier? So yeah, I mean, either yeah. way, I think that this is an example of accepting a lie to preserve the relationship. Mm. And I think well, that we see go. more That's of that <laughs> in this episode. <laughs> we certainly we are do. seeing mirrors of things, guys. Yes. Fabulous. Marlene takes the baby out of the room and tells Anna that she can't kill her. Marlene gives Ellie to another firefly, takes a moment, and then walks in the room and shoots Anna. Cover her ears. <laughs> Woo! Sorry. <laughs> another emotional like reaction here. Yeah. Tough, tough stuff. And the execution of Anna, because that's what it was. I mean, sure. it was yeah. it, it yeah. was cold. Yeah. It really reminded me of Kathleen killing the doctor. Mm. It was very similar. Walks up, no hesitation, boom. Right. Because you have to, like, if for me in this moment, Marlene intellectually understands what is necessary here. And I thought right. she was going to have somebody else do it, you know, uh, in a moment. But then she's like, she can't. She can't have anybody else do it. She can't let uh, on a, uh, you know, turn. And so if she walks in slowly and, you know, uh, no, she's got to do it quick. You know, she's got to rip the bandaid off. You know, she's got to just walk in and do it. And I think w- Kathleen probably had to do the same thing. Even though she was very uh, highly motivated, you still got to get over your own humanity uh, in that moment. And if you pause or you flinch like Joel does, right? Everything's lost. Right. So sad. So, so yeah. sad. Missable detail in the shot where um, Marlene is handing over uh, Ellie to one of the other fireflies. You can see the switchblade in Marlene's hand next to Ellie uh, there. Yeah. So uh, yeah. again, I love these talismans or totems of the watch and the knife, you know, traveling through the show. It's really nice details. Hey, John, uh, before we uh, smash cut to the next scene, let's smash cut to an ad, and uh, we'll be right back after this. Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online master's of social work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. Okay, and we're back. Smash cut to a close-up of Ellie's face looking contemplative. Contem- oh, God. I did it again. Contemplative. Oh, can you say it for me? Conte- contemplative. See, I can't do Thank it Thank you. <laughs> what is that thing called? You looked it up. What is it called? Oh, let's see. Let's see. You know what? Let's just look it up again. Tan lasso. Sound. What word lost its meaning? Yeah. Uh, semantic satiation. Semantic satiation. I am. I am prone to semantic satiation uh, when words become podcasting. a sound. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait for Ted Lasso season three. Uh, oh, it's is it this great. week? It's this week. Next week. This week. Oh my god! I got to grow my mustache. Are you growing your mustache? No. Well, I mean, yes, I did already. Because check our Twitter, and we have mustaches in our profile picture. 
All right. So smash cut to a close-up of Ellie's face looking contemplative. Uh, I'm going to just get away with that. On the outskirts of of Salt Lake City, we hear a muffled Joel calling out to Ellie. He's found a can of beefaroni and a board game called Boggle. Ellie feigns interest. What a turnaround, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. What a turnaround from the beginning of the series. Now, Joel is Mr. Chatterbox. Yep. And Ellie is quiet. Yep. And disassociated, right? That's the the muffling of the audio sort of gives us that sense that she's disassociated and and is sort of in in with her own inner thoughts. Ellie is deeply traumatized by what happened with David. Yeah, agreed. You know, that's why the draft thing is right out of the game. And that is to give Ellie hope in life again. That is okay. really to, to bring her back mm. into reality a little bit. And no, it doesn't heal her all in one scoop. But I, no, I think right, that yeah. she is just despondent at this point. So my, part of my reading of the scene was that they're coming to the end of their journey again. And th- this is going to mark a change. So not only is she carrying, you know, the the trauma, but as they the closer they get to their destination, the the more likely that her world is going to change and she's not sure, she's afraid of that change as all right. you know, beings are, right? Like, ooh, like I, do I really want to go for it or not? And then we, you know, then we work through it and we we make choices. But for me it was more her moroseness was more about anxiety uh, going forward. Okay. Yeah, I think that's fair too. I think it's probably a mix. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, this was the goal, right? This was yeah. the goal. And while Joel keeps trying to reassure her, you know, you can come with me, we can go somewhere. I don't know if she buys it. I don't know. Maybe deep down she thinks that she might have to die for this. Right. I, I You know, y- you've asked me here and there about, like, what I thought or what my predictions are or stuff like, oh, in, like, Last week you predict you asked me to make a prediction about this, and I was completely wrong because there was no horde of infected. No. <laughs> so you you said that I I immediately knew you were wrong, but I couldn't tell you. You know, I know, and you did a very good job. Um, so there was only one monster. Uh, we'll get there. Um, but yeah, the Joel's exuberance here is in such contrast to Ellie's moroseness too. Right? He's all chipper, right. like chipperity and Boggle. Have you ever played Boggle? I have a long time ago. Okay. Have you? It was a big thing in, in my childhood. Let's see, Boggle was um, released in uh, 1972, and uh, it was huge. It, it took the, the world by storm, and this is long before we had internets and such. And so we would play Boggle. I was terrible at it. I'm not a good word um, speller person, um, but I've got some people in my family, an extended family, and they would play this for hours. Like, we'd be at you know, weekend trips at so-and-so's, you know, house, uh, you know, on such-and-such island. And uh, Boggle was a mainstay for us. Okay. Yeah. It's cool. It's a fun game. There was a phone version. Uh-huh. I think it was like Scramble with Friends or something like that instead of Words with Friends. Okay. I played that a lot. I was pretty good at that one. So I know, I, I, I know the Boggle vibe. Okay. Well, and now we have uh, Wordly or Wordle or whatever it is. Wordle is over. Don't even say that word. To really? Me I'm just kidding. I, I just haven't done okay. it in a long time. <laughs> All right. Love the close-up on Bella's face here, where we can really see the 7-Eleven scar on her yeah. eye there. And I felt that the smash cut was a really good choice, editing choice as well, because we carry the um, emotional energy 
from the preceding scene into this one directly. So we're still processing what we saw with Marlene and, and Anna, and then boom, right into to Ellie's, you know, grappling with her own situation. Right. Yeah, no, I think that that was great. I think that they really connected the two well. Yeah. All right. Joel talks about getting a guitar and teaching Ellie. Distractedly, she says she'd be happy to learn to play. As they walk through the rubble of Salt Lake City, Ellie mocks Joel's plan, and he sarcastically replies, Joel's attempt at humor falls flat with Ellie. It's so sad. I mean, Ellie is is the jokester the whole time, right? She just yeah. can't can't stop poking fun at everything. It makes fun of everything she sees, and she's just gone right now. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and I I think you're right. I mean, I think she's she's carrying the trauma of of what happened in uh, Silver Lake, um, and she's carrying the weight of the world here. And there's things that her and Joel have to get right before they move to the the next scene, and then that's where we have these next couple of conversations. Right. And it's, yeah, it's more set up for the relationship, right? The, this, um, this is also, so this is where I'm going to start to, to bring in my theory about Joel that may not okay. be a mainstream take. Joel is, in my opinion, insane. And he has been insane ever since the moment Sarah died in his arms. And he's even more insane now, um, but he's got it under wraps and, and, and functionally in, under control. But the way that he's relating to her in this joking manner and doing whatever is not because of, his, because of redemption, and we're going to talk about some more of that stuff, but it's because he's, he's not relating to Ellie as Ellie. Um, and for me, this is the moment where I started to realize that something was wrong, still very wrong with Joel. Um, and the way that his his speech, Pedro Pascal's acting was really good here, because I could feel in his dialogue that something was going on inside of Joel that wasn't right. Mm-hmm. He was out of sort in some way, and, and 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 Pedro Pascal's acting gave me what I needed to feel that that disconcerting that disconcertion. I don't know if that's a word, but that unease uh, about what was going on here. Wow. Yeah. That is a profoundly bad take. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got more evidence when we get into this here, so. I don't think Joel's insane at all, actually. I, I, okay. I, I actually wholeheartedly disagree. I think Joel okay. made decisions that are very logical based on his experiences up to this point. Uh-huh. I don't think that they were the decisions of a good person, but Joel and Tess aren't good people. We learned right. that in episode two. We know two. that. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I'm, I'm going to actually disagree on your take. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll keep fleshing it out. I'll keep, I've, we've got, as we sprinkle this through more through the, the scenes. All right. All right. So they pick their way through the rubble and debris of a building that was being demolished. Joel boosts Ellie up to a higher level and Ellie excitedly takes off, leaving Joel to scramble up after her. Joel finally catches up to her and we see her standing next to a giraffe. What'd you think of a giraffe? Because this was my one nitpick on the visuals. Okay. I did not think that the, the giraffe looked great. I thought it looked very CGI. That's a real giraffe. Is it? Yeah, that's an no, actual. No, it's they, not. Yeah, they, they green screened the back of it. Um, there's that one, one scene you can tell where the background matte work line is a little bit off. Okay, so um, that's why. But that's just green screen normal. But that's, a, that's an actual, you know, they, they set up a, 
a set somewhere, brought in a, a real giraffe and, and fed it. And that's, wow. a, yeah, that's a real giraffe. They made a real giraffe look fake to me. <laughs> I really that's thought hilarious. that was a fake giraffe because of the way that the lines were kind of... Uh, uh-huh. But I guess you're right. Yeah, that makes sense just to have the, the green screen be kind of off. Yeah, yeah. They set the they set the stage, you know, they set the set dressing for that sort of window-like environment that they're in and, you know, with the fake greenery and stuff like that. And then they just brought the, the giraffe up. Yeah. And giraffe or a zoo giraffe like that are very tame and will eat out of your hands. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's so. the idea, right? They were in the zoo. They got yes, out exactly. during the outbreak yeah. and they've just, life finds a way, right? They, they are exactly. growing in population. They clearly have, you know, colonized Salt Lake City. And we've got an email in our feedback uh, about this, too. Somebody was pointing out, like, hey, you should scratch, a head scratcher, like, hey, shouldn't there be more of this around? Shouldn't we see a lot of this? Um, which I think, you, you know, there, there would be a, a, an abundance of wildlife, but we'll, we'll get there in the feedback. I think logically, but I think that as a filmmaking difficult. Know, technique, I think that, yeah, one, difficult, and two, it's not going to have the same effect if every time you go into a city, you've got a zoo running around, and then you right. want to have this moment, this profound moment where Ellie has a new experience in the last episode so i think that's all she, it is and bella's look of stunned of stunnedness on her face there like staring at this thing like she knows that this kind of animal exists but to like be face to face with one brilliant job of of delivering that like shock and awe that she's experiencing in that moment yep and i really take the point too like that this is this is what gives ellie um a clarity and a resolve because um, there's something beautiful here in this world. Right. It really is. It's very Jurassic Park, right? Life finds a way. Yes. It is. Yeah. It is just, there is still beauty to be found in this world. And that's a theme that Neil Druckmann really wanted in the game and okay. has brought to the show. Right. Yeah. I remember you talking about it before, especially like in the, was that episode two when they're crawling through the hotel and, you know, life finding a way kind of thing. Yeah. All right. As they emerge into the light. Oh, one thing I wanted to say before we move on to the next scene. Interesting, again, with the visual language, as they're moving up through the building, there's some tarps that are, you know, that were theoretically left over from the construction time here. Yep. But it's bathing them in this red light. And that red light really made me think of being in the arcade with Riley, where they were constantly in this sort of red and purple light. Okay. And then we go from this red light to this green uh reflected light so you know there's all this light bouncing down hitting green and so there's this sort of life greenness and i i don't know what they're doing with the visual language there i'm not enough of an aficionado to understand everything but i just wanted to to note it because i thought it looked gorgeous and it was just visually beautiful yeah i mean the visuals this whole season but including this episode have just been incredible wild yeah all right, as they emerge into the light, they see a herd of giraffe down in a ruined stadium in the building that they're uh, next to. And so, yeah, we, we set up here. Oh, uh, just a quick Easter egg. Uh, Bethany Clare Field is the name of the stadium on the scoreboard in the, in the, out in the field there. And um, according to the wiki, the fandom wiki, um, this is the name of the spouse of the level designer. Um, who designed this level in oh, the game. So well, that's fun. Yeah. All right. Looking out over the view, Joel and Ellie have a heart to heart. Joel tells Ellie that they don't have to follow through with it. And Ellie doubles down and recommits to getting to the hospital. I'll follow you anywhere you go, but there's no halfway with this. We finish what we started. 
hey, kid, you're 14 now. Why don't you decide if you want to save the world or not? <laughs> I think we should just, uh, you know, throw in the towel, head off back to Jackson and, and, and live the rest of our lives in anonymity. I think that if Joel gives Ellie this choice in Jackson, like uh-huh. when they were there, she might take it. Mm-hmm. I think it was kind of silly of him to get all the way to Salt Lake City and then go, meh, maybe never mind. Well, up until Salt, I mean, up until uh, um, uh, his near death, right? Or, or until, I'm sorry, after Silver Lake, right. she was just cargo. I mean, he might have like enjoyed her company as cargo, but she was still cargo. I think it was before then. I think she, she grew out of the cargo thing before even Jackson, but I think okay, he wouldn't admit it to himself until just after Jackson. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was going for the, for the, uh, uh, the full acceptance of it, you know, the right. stated acceptance of it. Right. I think somewhere around the time of Henry and Sam, that's when she really, in Joel's heart at least, became less cargo. Okay. Uh, I'll 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 uh, I'll not disagree with that. <laughs> I'll agree with that. All right. But here I want to I want to call back to a line from Maria from episode six, Tommy's wife. Be careful who you put your faith in. The only people who can betray us are the ones we trust. Because right here is where we begin Joel's betrayal of Ellie. Yep. And the the um. The breaking of the trust between these two. The breaking of the fellowship. Yeah, absolutely. Sam and Frodo decide to go their separate ways and not throw the ring into Mount Doom. This is, for me, you know, normally Joel, when he is decide when he's decided something, he moves with purpose, and and with and he there's a kind of a clarity uh, uh, around him. And in this scene, Joel sort of lingers and thinks, and then he slowly walks out of the scene. And for me, this is evidence of his heart is in conflict with itself. Look at that. <laughs> did you like the meme I made for, fa- for Facebook, was, for Twitter? That was beautiful. I felt seen. I felt I'm attacked glad. and seen at the same time. I'm glad. Uh, <laughs> but he's, he's in conflict here. And ultimately, he, his heart leads him to betrayal rather than, than to honor Ellie who, for who she is. And, you know, she says right here, we, this, there's no half-ass with this. We've got to finish it, no matter what that may cost us. And Joel's not willing to pay that cost, ultimately. No, he's not. He's not. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> as soon as this scene was said by Maria earlier in the season, I just knew what they were going for. Okay, nice. <laughs> and I knew that this would break everyone's heart later. Uh-huh. And it has. Yeah. I love seeing all the reactions. Because <laughs> You're just sitting back watching all of us. Yeah. Honestly, yeah, because we, we were all waiting. All the game players were waiting for the non-game players to just see this episode, and I should have made you record your reaction or something, because <laughs> it, is, it is a shocker. It is a shocker. Of all shockers, and it's it's what makes the game stand out above other stories. I think. Well, you know, it might be fun. I, no promises, but maybe. Uh, would you say, without being spoilerly, does will season two hit some of these kinds of emotional beats of of intense with intensity, not <laughs> not in terms of circumstances? Yes, yes, okay. a thousand times, yes. All right, so we've got to maybe think about like 
uh, I don't know, I'll set up a little GoPro or we'll, you know, live stream or something like that. So. We don't live that far away. Maybe we could uh, Ooh. set up a live watch for everybody. That would be interesting. That could be fun. All right. So put a pin in that. We'll talk about it on the Discord. I mean, we've got a while for season two, but I think that would be kind of fun because the actual reactions, I think, would be uh, pretty fun. I think a, so, too. A cool thing. All right. So they leave the giraffe and walk out through the tunnel and into an army field hospital. Joel talks about his being in a similar camp and then shares with Ellie about his attempted suicide after losing Sarah. I was the guy who shot and missed. This was also new for the show. And I liked it. I thought it was good. Mm -hmm. It shows that Joel really was broken after Sarah and would have preferred to check out. He really was not living for anything, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And he didn't get something to live for until Ellie. Not even Tess was enough for him, right? Mm-hmm. He never really get, let himself love Tess, and Tess knew that. Right. And he never got someone who he needed to protect, like Bill said in his letter, until Ellie. Mm-hmm. So I like this addition, is my point. Right. Um, and I, I think it's great for the character beats, because... If you're going to, I mean, you've got to have some authenticity and honesty between, you know, p- uh, characters in this kind of situation, right? Right. And that's part of what resolves Ellie's decisions. And we see suddenly, right after this scene, the levity is back, right? And they're reading puns and they're laughing and joking and they're sort of in their um, default normal emo- emotional state. Right. Because something resolved between them that, and there was something that was hidden that's now been brought forward. Um, but I have some different takes uh, as well, because going back to Joel's, uh, please go ahead. What I think Joel, Joel's deeper motivations are. Uh, quickly, before we get into that, I just point out two things. I think it's really interesting that they both have scars on their faces. Yeah, you know, Ellie's got Seven Eleven scar. We don't know what that's exactly about, but Joel's got you know this this wound that he's you know self inflicted wound. But then also, as they're coming out of the tunnel, they're in the darkness, and to them, front of them is light, so they're back. They're front lit. So we see them in silhouette walking away from us. Just a beautiful, again, beautiful use of lighting in this whole show to, to tell the stories. The light blinded them. It did. It blinded us to them. Well, and they moved into the light into some, you know, to some heat, you know, into a healing conversation. That, you know, but I don't think Joel is healed. And I don't think Joel's ever been healed. Uh, I think his, his, his propensity to love mm-hmm. is healed. However, I think that... It's corrupted. Well, I think he truly does love Ellie. I think he loves Ellie for sure. Ellie. I disagree with you on just substituting Sarah for her. I, okay. I think that he understands that she's a completely different person. Uh, I, I do not think so. I, oh, I no, think I think he's so, re- yeah. 100%. Yeah. I mean, okay. I think that, that as far as saving her, he's equating them, as, he's equating the situations. But I think that, especially, I mean... You know, I have the benefit of knowing in part two, like how well he knows her. Mm-hmm. I think that he does understand who she is. I don't think that she, he plays to her as if she's Sarah. Okay. And I, I just think that I, I think that he really, truly loves her. And that has made him an incredibly dangerous person. Got it. Okay, cool. And, and you've got benefit of, of uh, additional source material right. to help inform your, your, your thoughts. I don't. So I'm going off of what I'm seeing here. And I think that the moment that Sarah died in his arms, he was broken. We all agree to that, right? His yep, watch yep. is broken. He's a man stopped in time. Mm-hmm. He, and as I said before, when he has, uh, when he's clear, 
he moves with purpose and determination and he's effect he's very effective but in this moment he flinches right and and doesn't complete what he set out to do and he doesn't know why and in that moment i was like oh cool like you know fate has brought them together and they're going to save the world and all this kind of stuff and and in this scene there's two scenes that piss me off in the in this show in this episode in the in the good kind of being pissed off way this one and and one towards the end and i'll i'll mark it then but I think in that moment when he expected and he was ready for it to end his life, and he didn't, he then became unstuck, and he became a wraith. He became a ghost. He became an apparition of himself. And from there forward, he is this insane person who is just wreaking havoc through every life that he encounters from then on. And what I'm pissed off about in this is, is that, and, and maybe you're right, I, I, I'm still just reacting with my thoughts, is, is that, you know, they say the line, time heals all wounds, I guess, Ellie says. And then Joel says, it wasn't time that did it, implying that he's been healed through her love, right, the, in their relationship to, to each other. But I still think that there's evidence in, in my book, there's evidence that he's relating to her as Sarah and not as Ellie. And that the ultimate betrayal that results from that is Joel's selfishness and taking her out in a way is because he's still trying to save Sarah, and he's not doing what Ellie would have wished. And so that's an action of an insane person. Well, yeah, I don't think it's insanity, though, right? I think it's a selfishness. He knows what he's doing throughout the whole thing. I really Mm, do think that. Okay. But that's insane. What he's doing is literally is is uh, is it sociopathy? I don't know what the definition of sociopathy no, is. No, sociopathy would be I don't feel badly about it, and I think I think he does feel badly about it. He, I think he might feel badly about killing Marlene. I don't think he feels badly about killing anybody else. Maybe, maybe. Again, I can't I can't comment too far. No, right. And I think this is what Tommy was reacting to too, right? Like this is why Tommy didn't call him and say, "Yo, check it out, bro. Jackson's like the bomb. You should get out here." Because Tommy's trying to heal from all the damage that was caused by what him and Joel and and others got up to. Because Joel is a monster, and I don't think he ever stopped being a monster. There was a reprieve or a release, but just because there's a release in a moment doesn't mean that you still don't have work to do, and that you've got to repair some of that moral harm. And I think, I think Joel, and, and we'll talk about it even later, is, is, I mean, he's a monster. Okay, so maybe he's not insane. Maybe I should just call him a monster. But I don't think he's ever lost, I, I don't think he ever healed from that monstrosity. He's still, uh, he, he's still suffering the entire time. And, and that's what wreaks havoc through the, the Firefly Hospital, ultimately. Here's how I'm looking at it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take beats of Joel's journey, but I'm not going to do the whole thing. I'm going to save that for the uh, season wrap-up. So definitely check okay. that out. But cool. I think this whole thing is about his purpose being to protect. Okay. We start off the show with him failing to protect Sarah. Yep. Then we find out he failed to protect Tommy because Tommy right. ran off. And right. Tommy, he, and he, he, we start off the show with him trying to save and protect Tommy, right? Right. Who didn't need protecting in the end. Then he fails to protect Tess, who sacrifices yep. herself and tells him to protect Ellie. Ellie. Transfer, yeah, transfer what you give me to her. Yeah. Dying wish is for him to protect Ellie. Right. And then he goes to Bill and Frank's 
And Bill writes him a letter where he says, and I quote, mm-hmm. That's what I did. I saved him. Then I protected him. That's why men like you and me are here. We have a job to do. Mm-hmm. He says, your whole purpose, Joel, your whole purpose of being alive, a man who killed himself, who tried to kill himself, right? Yeah, and is back from the dead, your whole purpose is to protect someone. And that person is Ellie. Then you go through to Henry and Sam. And Joel and Henry have an explicit conversation where they said it's so good to be relied on, right? Aren't we lucky to be relied mm, on? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Really emphasizing whole, how the whole purpose is to protect. And then he sees a man commit suicide because of his failure to protect his brother. Right. Which, oh, you know what? Just, just to pause you right there for a second. Again, more beautiful paralleling echoing, right? Because we didn't, at that time, at least I didn't know that Joel tried to do the same thing. So, wow, like that's even more uh, impactful of a situation on Joel right. than we could know at that moment. I don't know if you knew as a game player, but certainly as a no, non-game player. So that's, that's a really good call. That is really, really interesting. Another failure to protect. And yeah. watching someone fail to protect his, you know, his Padawan. Charge. His, right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then not having the will to live anymore. Mm-hmm. Then he fails to protect Ellie from David. De- Ellie, right. actually, I think, you know, he has to follow her through this cannibal camp where he sees yeah. bodies strung up <laughs> and he sees her pack next to the bodies and he yeah. probably thinks she's dead at that point. He's just running around looking for her and then he, she, he sees a burning building and she miraculously comes out and she comes back from the dead and he's ready to protect her for the rest of his days. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to Salt Lake City and he's told, well, guess what? Fuck you, get out, and you were yeah. going to kill her right now without, right. without giving her a choice, without right. giving you a choice, without having any conversations. We're going to put a gun to your back, and we're going to walk you to the highway. Right. I don't know, man. I, I, I don't think that's insanity. I think that this is a logical conclusion to what he's built himself up as, the protector. I'm going to do anything that I need to do to protect this girl. Right. And, and setting aside the, the insanity thing... What I think we could point our uh, point at, though, is is that he's taken this too far, right? Because he's not relating to her and Ellie's wishes, and Marlene tries to negotiate with him twice, three times, even, um, you know, uh, to say like this, you know, you know, this is what we need to do. This is for a bigger purpose, right? And he shuts that down literally and he does it in in a way that it doesn't it's he's not restoring agency to uh ellie he's not going into the operating room and kneecapping the surgeon and saying once she wakes up from the drugs she and i are going to have a conversation then we're going to work this out right he is he's being he's not protecting ellie he's protecting himself right he's protecting his feelings the feeling of the, the terrifying abyss of being alone again. So, you know, this, this selfishness is, again, it's self-protective. And so he's living inside of himself. He's not living out here with us and thinking about other people and thinking about the impacts and effects that his decisions are going to have. Um, and it's all based in, out of fear, out of loss, of reliving that initial trauma 
that, you know, of his loss with Sarah. So for me, all of this is, uh, I don't think Joel has ever been redeemed. I don't think he ever hit a, a point of redemption. I think his arc of redemption was stunted. And I, I don't think, and we agree to disagree, I don't think he loves Ellie. Okay. I think he, I think he's, I think she's a, I think Ellie's a proxy for Sarah. And I think we see that later as they approach Jackson, but we can talk about it more when we get there. I mean, I'm loving the conversation. I love the, the, the points of view. So like, yeah, no, I mean, I hope people weigh in for the season uh, wrap up. Please do. Yeah. Yeah. Bring it in. <laughs> bring in the feedback, y'all. We want, I want your voicemails. I want your emails. I want some perspective on this. Tell David that he's wrong and that I'm right. I, I mean, that's, that's what you got to do. Exactly. And I think what you said something earlier at the, at the top of this podcast is part of what they wanted, part of the effect that they wanted to get out of the game and then the show is to put us into, these moral, into this moral quandary right. and to actively think it through and talk about it and feel it and experience it and, and, and try to wrestle with it this way. So um, effective from that standpoint, for sure. Well, we're not even there yet, and we've already hashed it out quite a bit, so why don't we keep going? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a good plan. All right, so they continue on, and Ellie reads some puns at Joel's request, ostensibly to lighten their mood. They're ambushed by a firefly, firefly patrol, Ellie is taken, and Joel gets clocked in the back of the head. Uh, really great. <laughs> I love this scene. Yeah. But think about this, too. The last time Joel saw Ellie before she was going to die... Yeah. She thinks he's, she's being kidnapped, and he thinks that he's either dying or being kidnapped. Right, right. That's terrifying, and that's awful. Yeah. What a way... You can't say goodbye to her. You just know right. that the last time she saw you, she was scared. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and you were having a laugh and a joke about you know, your silly puns, and, um, yeah. you know, I, I did like the meteor joke. I, I did think that that was funny. There were some good ones. There were some good puns. <laughs> the apocalypse pun was very on point. So Yeah. So we cut to a whiteout, and Joel slowly wakes in a hospital room with Marlene standing next to him. She explains the situation to Joel. We learn that Ellie's surgery to extract the cordyceps from her brain will end her life. At least that's the implication. Joel objects, and Marlene instructs her guys to take him to the edge of town and let him go and to give him his pack and her knife. You're the one person I never wanted to be in debt to, but I owe you. So this is actually the one change that I disagreed with in this episode. Interesting. Okay. And I'll tell you why. Yes, please. We're on a podcast. I would hope you would tell me why. Is that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that I think that adding an explanation for how the cure would work adds credibility yeah. to the fireflies that makes the ethical dilemma less of a dilemma and i wish that they had left it as vague in the game because in the game there was no plan at least not that we're privy to there was no okay. plan to turn ellie's brain into a cure they just said we need her brain to study it to develop the cure because that's where the cordyceps is they never okay. said okay so there are these cells that tell it that that it's the cordyceps and we're going to be able to multiply them and distribute them that's plausible to me right in the game there's nothing like that and so right. I think that it's a much more even-keeled ethical dilemma in the game because you're going to kill a little girl for a chance at a cure. Right. So I disagreed with that change. That was the only thing I disagreed with. I don't think we, we always need more explanation. I think less is more with that. I think it would have been, from a storytelling standpoint, from a, from a television standpoint, I think it would have been 
really dissatisfying. And I think it would have upset people if they hadn't had a plan. Okay. That if they're just like, well, we got to study your brain. So, you know, sorry. Um, well, they don't say it like to- that either. They're like, hey, we can really, <laughs> we can really develop a cure if we just take her brain and we, and we figure out what's in there that's, that's doing the thing. And then, but we'll have to remove it to do it. To do the I, work. You know, right. it's, not, it's not like it's a hope and a prayer. But it is certainly a lot less certain than in the show. In the show, it seems like they have a full plan, like the scientist is, is on it. Yeah. And I think, to me, that heightens the trolley problem, actually, because Joel has the intellectual information to make a choice about what to do next, which he refuses to. Now, granted, Marlene's bedside manner and, and her delivery of the, the pros and the cons of the situation here have a lot to be desired. Um, but she does try to you know, explain to him. I, I really do love the line, too, about um, uh, where he's like, but cordyceps grows in the brain. And it's like, yep. And you're like, in that moment, that's when the realization comes. I was kind of expecting that Ellie was going to have to not survive whatever the procedure. Like, I had that built into my emotional bracing for <laughs> the final okay. episode. but. The way that even though I was I was sort of in the back of my brain accept, uh, expecting that, the whole delivery and the whole setup of this was really well done from a from the television's point of view, right. in my opinion. Yeah, I like that they had Joel walk himself through it because Joel's really mm-hmm. smart. Yeah. And I think yeah, they, they have relied on that several times throughout the season, and this was a good use of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it really calls back to the to that scene where Ellie was cutting that infected's forehead. Was that episode two? I think in the yeah. basement of that that gas maybe station, three. maybe three. Um, but that yeah, that just sort of uh, a nice callback. I was like, oh yeah, she doesn't necessarily know that she's got cordyceps in in the brain, but like you know, her poking at this thing, right? Uh, again, one of those nice echoes. So yeah, like, what do we make of Marlene's choice here to not give Ellie agency? Like, they just put her out and you know told her nice things, and uh, you know said that everything was going to work out just fine. Never, you know, knowing that that she's not going to, they're not going to wake her back up. I think that there were two exit ramps that were mistakes on both Marlene's and Joel's part. Okay. The first is, I think that if Marlene gives Ellie an honest choice, yeah. Ellie will take it. I really do I, think she would have taken it. I'm, I'm in a total agreement with that. I think Ellie would have totally fallen through, fo- followed through. And I think that if Ellie had made that decision, Joel may have respected it more. Only because, not because you know he's a moral guy, but because I think he knows that if Ellie knows that Joel is overriding her choice, then that relationship is done. That relationship mm-hmm. is shattered. And I right. do think that he might have let it happen then. I don't know for sure. You know, we, we can only speculate, but I think that that was a chance. That was an off-ramp. And Marlene, thinking that she knows better, being holier than thou with the fireflies, has fucked up here. Royally fucked up here. Right. I, I think I, I totally agree with that. I think we would have had a very different trajectory if, if Marlene had said exactly that. We talked to her. She chose this. This is what she wants. Well, actually, I, I don't think that if Marlene told him that, that would have been enough. I think he needs to hear it from the horse's mouth. I think he needs Agreed. to hear it from Ellie. Agreed. Uh, 100%. And I think <laughs> Marlene effed up in another way here, too, which is if she was going to go the Fedra route, right, and actively take, take their agencies away from them, uh, at least Ellie, she should have done it to Joel as well. 
and he should have never woke up. And uh, but she's has this outsized sense of indebtedness to him, and I don't think she real. You know that we were debating this on on uh, uh, in the Discord a little bit, where like what did could Marlene have seen foreseen the danger of Joel? And I think that some of the evidence is there to at least not let him walk out on his own, put him in a box, put him in handcuffs, you know, restrain him some way, get him out. Because if she's like, yo, I had five guys protecting me, five tough armed, you know, experienced people protecting me to cross the country and we almost didn't make it, but Joel and Ellie did, and she knows that Joel's an operator. And then that Joel is also signaling, like, he's like, damn it, sh- take me to her now. He's, he's signaling that she's no longer cargo to him, right? And if she was, he'd be like, oh, okay, cool. Well, give me my truck battery and my truck and whatever else that, you know, um, what does Han Solo say? He's just like, I'm here for the loot. Like, you know, like, load me up, I'm out. Then Marlene would have known, like, oh, okay, cool. Right, you know, we can we can kick you loose and 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 we're done. Our business yeah. here is done. But he's like, no, take me to her. They have to beat him down to, to you know to keep him from storming out of the room. Um, and so she's got the information she needs to realize that this dude's dangerous, but she doesn't pick up on that. And she says, even to the point of like, I'm sorry, I have no other choice. And Joel says, I do. If that is not a statement of of threat, you know, he's not threatening here. He's telling her, I'm I'm gonna you guys are I'm taking you apart. I am a grenade and I'm gonna go off in your face. Well, I think it's reasonable, if you're Marlene, to assume that one guy without a gun can't take down dozens of soldiers. She but that's right. That's what I'm saying. That's where she effed up. Right. <laughs> oh, it, she, it was it was a wild mistake. But I mean, it's yeah. kind of interesting because Joel has slowed down. Right. He, he even said that earlier in the season. But when he is separated from Ellie, God help everyone. God help yeah, everyone I, in between. <laughs> I have it here right in my notes. Something John said was when Ellie and Joel are apart, bad things happen. <laughs> yep. And that's they true. temper each other. They are much less violent than the sum of their parts. And I will always say that. Yeah. Joel is escorted out of the hospital. He notes the signage on the wall that pediatric surgery is on the sixth floor. In the stairwell, he surprises and then murders the two guards. He he retrieves a a magazine of ammo, Ellie's knife, and his pack before methodically murdering everyone he encounters in the hospital on his way to the sixth floor. Okay, Easter egg from the game. He shoots the guy in the crotch, which I think he does in the torture scene in the game. Okay. Which again, by the way, if you were questioning whether this was a natural trajectory for Joel, look at the way he acted when he was separated from Ellie last time. Right. He tortured people for right. And, and you know, he just killed them when he didn't need to. Just yeah, to and get he does it here. through it. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, so I think it's very natural for his character to do this. I really like one of the decisions that they made in the production is they gave us that muffled audio again, just like yeah. Ellie was earlier, and that really signals to us this disaffected state right it's it's a visual it's an auditory cue to tell us that this character is disassociated from reality and is operating in a in a with a different set of uh, of mental a, a different mental framework than than your normal baseline um and i thought that that was really super effective and super interesting as you might imagine they started with a more action soundtrack and yes. they 
worked their way to this version where they said, let's just have this be somber. Yeah. And brutal. Um, and like, you know, we were saying before, like, you know, in a video game, it's nothing to like, you know, go through a bunch of uh, NPCs that you've got to get to, you know, to get to your, you know, whatever your MacGuffin is. But to see Joel actually do it is like even more disturbing. I don't know what, it, like you said, it was pretty disturbing in the game, but this is, this was very violent. Yeah. I mean, he even uses Ellie's knife at one point to finish a guy <laughs> off. Anna's knife is still doing work. Yeah. Uh, I will mention that there's an Easter egg from part two that I can't say explicitly, but I think a certain someone showed up in the scene if you look closely. And when Maya, I'll, I'll just name Mrs. Lorehound now, when Maya and I discuss the spoilers next week, we will definitely talk about it. Nice. Very cool. I'm going to be like a mushroom in the dark. <laughs> in the operating room, he murders the doctor, but not the nurses, and then carries Ellie to the elevator. In the parking garage, he is confronted by Marlene. She ne- tries to negotiate with Joel. Another production note. Mm-hmm. The, one of the nurses is one of the voice actors for the nurses in the game. Oh, okay, cool. And she does play a larger role in part two. But again, we'll talk about that on the spoiler section next week. So this is the other scene. This is maybe uh, this is the other scene where I got pissed off uh, at Joel specifically, like my reaction uh, as like, I'm angry <laughs> right now. Um, it was like, dude, just shoot him in the foot or something. That's a doctor. That's a surgeon in the post-apocalypse. Like, man, what, are you, what choices are you making here? This is ridiculous. And this is the doctor that knows how to cure yes. the, the, the pandemic. But again, look at what he says to Marlene. You just come after her. If yeah. he leaves that doctor alive... They're going to send crew after crew for sure. Ellie to go get her and do this procedure to save the world. So um, there's a uh, I posted this in our on, on our discord channel for, for The Last of Us. Uh, it's a picture of Frankenstein carrying. Uh, oh, I forget the actress's name. But anyway, it's a you know, famous picture of Frankenstein, the monster carrying the, the bride, as it as it were. And when Joel is carrying uh, Ellie like that, and she's cleaned up, and she's in that sort of white gown, and Joel's there, and he's all disheveled and puffy-faced, and he's carrying her in that really classic pose. And we've seen that pose throughout movie history, you know, King Kong, Robbie the Robot, you know, or or Forbidden Planet, uh, you know. One might say it looks quite a bit like him carrying Sarah in episode one. Uh, Exactly, the same thing. And in that moment, it really struck me, oh, Joel is a monster. He's a monster's monster. He is not human. And that's maybe where, maybe I'm saying insane what I mean inhuman. I don't think he, I think he lost his humanity and he never regained it. So maybe that's a better way. Maybe I'll scratch the insane thing and I'll say it this way, which is a kind of insanity, but it sounds weird because when we think of insane, we think of something different. And so what I'm talking about is, yeah, he's, He's disassociated. He's detached from his humanity. He's substituted love for morality. That's how I would put it. Oh, that's an interesting way of putting it. I like that. I like that. What he thinks is love. Yeah, what he... Ooh, no, but yeah. Ooh. So yeah, he's, he's a monster carrying his bride. Um, yeah. And I thought visually that was, was superb. Absolutely brilliant. He sure is the monster. Again, I, I said this on the Discord, but this is the point in the game when they say, save Ellie. 
and you have no choice that you realize, oh my God, I'd been the villain the whole time. Right. Which I think you have been waiting excitedly for all of the rest of us non-player, uh, non-game players to arrive at this moment. You have been excitedly waiting for this moment. To right. The guy you're rooting to heal has been the villain the whole time. Exactly. Which is really a great turn. Uh, and yeah, uh, it, it is brilliantly set up and delivered in this show, uh, in this season, no doubt. Yeah. So we smash cut to a brightly lit scene in contrast to the darkness of the parking garage, and Joel is driving down a wooded highway with Ellie asleep in the back seat. Joel concocts the big lie as we get flashbacks of a scene of him murdering Marlene intercut into the scene of him talking with Ellie. Yeah. Um, first of all, at this point, we've basically gone shot for shot for the game. Okay. And honestly, even as far back as the operating room, because the scalpel thing, I was waiting for it to happen because that made me laugh in the game. Like he picks up a scalpel and goes, ah, don't come near me. And <laughs> what are you going to do with that, buddy? He's got a, he's got an AK. Right. But I don't yeah, know well, you gotta shoot he has, first. but he has a, he has a very heavy gun. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it just made me laugh in the game. Kind of. I mean, it's a gruesome scene, but just him standing there with a scalpel. Uh, and I'm glad that they did it in the show. I, 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 uh, I was like, yes, he's got the scalpel. But so this is basically shot for shot for the game. And I think, again, Craig Mazin said, if you change the ending of The Last of Us, you're a fucking idiot. And he's right, <laughs> because this is a perfect ending. Absolutely right. perfect. The fake out when you see Joel's face mm-hmm. driving. Did he right. mm-hmm. surrender her to Marlene? Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was so good. Yeah. And then no, and then you, and then she's stirring in the back. Yeah, and there's this little look that Joel has, and he sort of shakes his head a little bit as he's, you know, the the human parts of his psyche are trying to assert themselves and going, "You're, we're a monster. What did you do? What what have we done?" And then he's like trying to shake it off and like you know push it aside. Again, Pedro Pascal is inhabiting this character of Joel so well and illuminating it so well that I'm just blown away by the skill that he's bringing uh, uh, to us in this story. Well, I guess you'll just have to watch him protect the little green guy now. Yes, exactly. I just hope uh, Mando doesn't go around (laughs) torturing Poppy. He's going to go to Tatooine and just slaughter everyone (laughs) to protect Grogu. Basically, right. And I love the use of the flashback, the flashback intercut with the lie, and it, I think it really heightens the emotional intensity for us, the viewers, to know that he is actively lying here. It's not an after-the-fact thing. He is fresh in his memory, murdering Marlene, and then when she's begging for her life, he he guns her down, you know, like even more, like you know, he shoots her dead for real. Um, that the lie and Joel's psychology and what he's done and his humanity, these are active choices that are that he is making within this substituted right. um, morality framework that he's adopted. Right. I I mean, I'm I'm partially taking this from the way that the the game makers and showrunners have talked about the game, but it really is showing the destructive nature of a man who loves right it is you know hate can make you do powerful things but love can make you do even worse things sometimes more crazy things right yeah yeah for sure i love the line you just come after her 
Yeah. <laughs> it's just so logical. It's just so cold. Yeah. In that in that other framework that he's adopted. Well, in the way logical. he's been, in, in the way he is now. I mean, look, if he puts Ellie on the floor now and says, all right, go for it, they're going to come after him, right? They're going right. to hunt him down. Or if he just walked away and, and I think uh, so. ghosted. I think they'd yeah. hunt him down. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I mean, we know what Kathleen did. She hunted down Henry, and that right. didn't work out so well for anybody either. Sure. Montage scenes of them driving into Wyoming. As Joel tries to repair the car, Ellie examines her scars. As they hike, Joel reminisces about Sarah and posits that Ellie and Sarah would have been friends. I like that he's talking about Sarah again. I think mm-hmm. that he, I really do think he did heal a lot. I think he healed a lot okay. in his ability to love and his ability to sort of look back on his life and remember the good and leave the bad. And boy, is there a lot more bad to leave behind now. Uh-huh. Interesting, because I read this whole thing as him transferring, uh, this uh, transference of Sarah on top of Ellie and trying to groom Ellie into being a Sarah-like character for him. I thought that this conversation that he was having was entirely insane. <laughs> I don't think and so, yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 yeah. Again, I, I know too much, but I really do think he knows Ellie as Ellie. Okay. I think that he okay. really loves her truly. I mean, he even says, you know, oh, well, you know, she was a lot more girly. You're, you're, I'm not saying you're not girly. I'm not. Right, yeah. <laughs> that was great. That's interesting. That, that could be counter-argument. Those could be counter-facts to my argument, because he's like, Oh, I should get a guitar. Do you want to learn? You know, you should learn. And, and uh, you know, playing Boggle. Um, and um, you're funny and you make jokes and, you know, hiking, you know, all this kind of stuff. He's, he's, he's describing elements of Sarah that he's coloring Ellie with um, because he's now in touch with his feelings about Sarah. And so for me, but I, but I take the point that there could be counter argument there uh, in, in that maybe he's just trying to alleviate and, and explain some of this to her as opposed to reacting to her. But all the way through this whole thing, from when they were in Salt Lake City to and then this conversation, Pedro Pascal's affect for the character of Joel, there, it, there's, to me, it sounds like there's something wrong with Joel. That, that broken piece in his clockwork mechanism, it's really, the gears are really grinding here. And and obviously that led to a, a tragic consequence. Yeah. Well, I mean, anxiety is a powerful thing, too. Yeah. As they look down on Jackson, Ellie tells Joel about Riley and how she became infected. She asks Joel to swear that everything he told her about uh, the fireflies in Salt Lake City was the truth. He swears. Okay. I beat Bella Ramsey and Neil Druckmann. Just saying this on Twitter, to tweeting this. We have the proof. Someone took a screenshot. Yeah, it was you. It was you. I screenshotted. Yeah, because it it showed up in my timeline. Like I was looking at my my timeline. I wanted to check out what's going on at the Oscars and whatnot. And I looked, and then there's the two tweets next to each other. And then I'm like, oh, isn't that funny? And I didn't even look at the time. And then you you wrote back, and you were like, I beat them. And I was like, oh yeah, you sure did. Announcement, I will be playing Ellie in season two. <laughs> bravo, bravo. No, it's funny, though. I, I love how everybody, because it, that word contains everything, right? Yeah. All right, let's get into it. What was she saying with OK? Um, so my take is, is that she knows that he's lying and that she has no other choice but to accept the lie. And so she's, she's 
being okay with that to him and to her. She, she's sealing the deal. But I think deep down, she knows that he lied. And, and my, one of my pieces of evidence for that is when they're in the car and he's uh, telling her the big lie, when he's done, she turns over and turns his back to him. Yeah. And to me, that's a piece of evidence for the fact that she knows. Ellie is very smart. Very. And I think that, uh, you know, something that Ashley Johnson said on the podcast, she says, Ellie's bullshit detector is top tier. Mm, I like that, yeah. And so Ashley Johnson said that, because they they actually asked her, how did you play the line? Because the line's the exact same. The dialogue is almost exactly the same here. We're not getting into... Like we got to be careful. Like I don't know how this plays out in season two. Like I, I, I trust you. To oh know. no, the, they yeah. don't talk about spoilers. Actually, here's a warning for the official podcast. the The podcast actually, the official podcast did make a joke that is a kind of a spoiler for the first like 20 minutes of the second game. So oh, really, if you have not played the second game. Do not listen to the last few minutes of the official podcast. I don't know why they left it in. I hate it when that happens. Yeah. I don't think they mean, you know, it, yeah, it's not like they're meaning to do it, but it's it's tough when yeah. I think that honestly if you don't know that it's a spoiler, it might go it. over your head cuz it really okay. is like a joke in in like a bunch of laughter. Okay. It's a one-liner and it might go over your head, but Brandon the Bard brought it to my attention and he did recognize it as a spoiler because he knew a few facts about the second game. Right. Okay. So, I would caution everyone to not listen to those last few minutes. But I'm not going to talk about anything in, in the second one, but, you know, what's going through her head there, and, and this is how I felt mm-hmm. about it in the performance, so I think this is just, the performance was really good at capturing what she intended, and this is her okay, playing cool. out what she intended there. Uh-huh. Um, the performance intended, and this is what I got out of it, was two things. One is, yes, I know you're lying, but I'm going to mm-hmm. accept it to preserve our relationship. And it's the same right, thing and, as And Anna. not die. Right. <laughs> and it's the same thing about Anna and you know, and, and Marlene in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. But the other yeah. half of it is, I know you're lying and I don't think our relationship's ever going to be the same. I don't know if I can ever trust you again. Yeah. It can, they can both be there, right? It's a complicated yeah. situation and she feels complicated emotions about it. All in one word. Brilliant. Brilliant. Brilliant storytelling, brilliant acting. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a truckload of of meaning in, packed into that one word. And Bella Ramsey delivered it masterfully. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how many times, how many how many takes they had to to uh, to do on that. Word's going to become a sound if they keep going. That's right. I want to hear what uh, people are thinking too. So please, we really want to. Um, if you agree with us, if you agree with me, if you agree with John, if you have a different take. Make sure you get some feedback in for next week, um, because we want to take apart this whole season, and there's a lot to unpack. So, should we get into some feedback, or do you got anything else on the on the scene by scene? I just love this show. This is the best show that I've seen in like since I saw Breaking Bad. I would say this is the best show wow. I've seen since Breaking Bad. This is better than Andor okay. for sure. This is your me. Andor, yeah, your Andor for you. I will say that this has uh, peaked a score of eleven on my industry scale because I think. From an industry standpoint, the storytelling and um, the adaptation were flawless and exceptionally well done. So, yeah, really good, really nice. All right, John, before we get into our feedback, let's take a quick break. 
And we're back. All right, feedback, John. Ready? I'm ready. Let's go. Marsha, via the website contact form, lorehounds.com, been loving your coverage since the pre-Rings of Power deep dive. Wow! OG Marsha. I'm confused about Marlene's role in Ellie's life. She tells Ellie that she's placed her in Fedra as an orphan to keep her safe, but declines to accept Ellie into the Fireflies when Riley asks her to. Is there more to E's parenthood, uh, Ellie's parentage that is relevant that Marlene knows but is keeping secret? Thanks. Well, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I don't think we need to answer this one yet anymore. <laughs> Marsha, uh, I hope you feel satisfied <laughs> in the answer because they certainly gave it to us. And I love the way that they gave it to us. So, yeah. um, and I love that, that um, Anna and Marlene, you know, how long have you known me? You know, <laughs> our entire lives. Yeah, that's pretty deep bond. Oh, you know, something I wanted to point out, too, uh, during the scene when Marlene and Joel are talking in the hospital, she's like, you know, Joel's like, oh, you don't understand. I have to see her. And Marlene's nah, dog. I totally understand because I was there from the beginning, literally, which I don't buy. I don't buy that. That makes you understand his current situation. She did not actually raise Ellie. She did not bond with Ellie. She just passed her off. And sure, she feels an obligation morally, but. I think that's the difference, right? She feels a moral obligation to yeah. Ellie, whereas Joel feels a loving obligation to Ellie. Right, a, per, a, a parental, a direct parental obligation. Right, yeah. right. And that's a wildly different thing. You can morally weigh that moral decision, weigh that moral calculation against the moral calculation of saving the world. You know, if you are, I mean, I don't want to do the hypothetical, what if somebody was trying to kill our kids? But really, I don't know what I would do in this situation. Right. I, I right. don't. I don't think I would have been a better person than Joel if someone said, well, your kid has to die. Right. And we didn't even get into the whole parent saving child trope of it, uh, you know, man on fires uh, uh, situation of this. Right. So. Right. That's, you know, let's talk about that maybe in the in the season wrap up. Right. Agreed. But I, th I think, you know, when you get into a, a, a genital measuring contest here in terms of, no, my pain, I hurt more than you do. My pain is bigger than yours. That never goes well. Pain is pain, right? Like, there's no empathy there. They're both arguing a static point of view right? and not willing to see the humanity of the other person on the other side of that point of view. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right, John, we got a voicemail from Kathleen. So just a quick note about the voicemail thing. Go to the website. Go to the contact page. There's a button. You literally just record, you know, you might, your computer might ask you to, you know, authorize the use of the microphone, just talk it at your computer, and then it sends us the file. So it's like dead simple. Um, so I would encourage everybody to do it. And then John can just edit it into the, uh, the podcast. So let's hear from Kathleen. Hi, this is Kathleen from Northwest Indiana. Just wanted to say I loved episode eight, just as it was written. I can't remember which of you had question whether or not Joel was not in this episode enough. I think he was in it just enough. We needed to see if Ellie was willing to go the length for him as he's been trying to do for her. And at the end, when they meet each other again, that line he says about baby girl would not have had the impact on all of us that it did. Kathleen, I totally agree with you about that impact of that line. I got you, baby girl. 
Um, and I and I do agree. I th- I don't know if who said what in the previous episode, but the fact that um, this was a very that or episode eight was a very Ellie centric episode. I agree. I it really gave us the and 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 then what how that plays out in episode nine that she's willing to go through it all the way. We really understand that that she's got that. And that that brings she's got that fire, and that brings even more light to what Joel said when Marlene's like, "How did you make it?" And uh, Joel's like, "It wasn't me; it was her." And it's like, "Oh yeah, the, what what she did in episode eight to get through that—that that was some pretty intense stuff." So yeah, absolutely agree, Kath, uh, uh, with you, Kathleen. John, what do you think? Oh, I agree too. And first of all, Kathleen, you sound much nicer than the one in the show. But <laughs> I totally agree too. I don't actually remember saying last episode that I wanted more Joel, but maybe I did. So sorry if I did. No, I I like the separation. I think that letting Ellie go out on her own and sort of develop her own survival techniques and and get herself out of the situation without Joel coming in to save her. I thought that was excellent. And if they did it a similar way in the game, I liked it both ways. And yeah. All right, CJ via the website contact form, lorehounds.com. Hey guys, logistical speculation would have posited that the less humans on Earth post-apocalypse would result in more abundant wildlife, fish, deer, rabbits, etc., due to the demise of human hunting regularly and less human encroachment into wildlife areas. Unless earlier episodes mentioned the fungus-infected animals as well, and I just totally missed it. I believe Discovery Channel once had a speculation series about Earth's flora and fauna dramatically healing if humans no longer existed. John? Well, we do know that infected attack animals. At least I don't remember if that was in the show, but it was in the game. Like they'll attack mm-hmm. a deer, you know, and they'll just tear it apart. They they might eat right. a little bit of it, but they, you know, they mostly want human. But will it turn into a zombie? I, we don't know. If it uh, I don't. To do that. I think only primates, because I mentioned in a in a previous episode that the monkeys in the game that were in that lab were infected. Right. Mm-hmm. So we know that it goes to them. I don't think it's gone to anything else in the game, at least, or in the show. Right, and it's weird about how how different um, uh, infections can jump the species barrier. I mean, like otters are uh, one of the species that they have to be really careful with in zoos and aquariums now because they're susceptible to um, COVID-19. Oh, really? Yeah. So uh, we're not really sure. But I will say that as somebody who used to work in wildlife conservation, absolutely. You take humans out and it's not just the hunting pressure. It's the um, pressure from habitat loss and destruction and alteration. And if you look at, in the United States, the annual uh, roadkill numbers, it's, 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 a, <laughs> it's a slaughter. It is horrible, and it, it has a huge impact on healthy wildlife populations. So people go, oh, hunter's bad, fisher's bad, whatever. Actually, you know, <laughs> it's, it's vehicles, it's converting to farmland, it's, yeah. you know, all of our industrialization of the land. And I'm not arguing against that per se, but I'm just talking about the human impact. So when we convert habitat, we convert the ability for wildlife to exist because wildlife is a product of habitat in a way, like one way of looking at it. So yeah, I totally agree. The the there would be huge populations of deer and and wildlife bounces back really fast. When they reintroduced wolves into Yellowstone, they're like, Oh yeah, you know, it'll be like, you know, twenty, thirty, forty years before we say it was like five years, ten years. Wow. And wolves were like everywhere. Interesting. 
Yeah. So nature, wildlife rebounds really quickly when you start, when you stop um, those kinds of impacts that we have on, on the environment. Well, I mean, I think it's just probably they needed a plot device of them being hungry. Yeah, yeah, that too. That's fine. <laughs> that too. All right, Davey Mack on our Discord. Really enjoyed the episode on a whole. Glad they got the giraffes in there. My favorite part of the original. I do feel like it was rushed, though. I also wish we had gotten something akin to Jakarta, where we got to spend a bit more time with the Fireflies doctor before Joel and Ellie showed up. And just generally, I feel like this episode needed a bit more space and time to breathe. Yeah, so we talked a little bit about this at the, the top of the episode, this being such a f- short episode at 43 minutes. What did you, um, do you have any more thoughts about that, John? I mean, I liked it. I think you're right. It was shocking how short it was. And mm-hmm. I don't think it needed to be any longer. In fact, they added more than the game gave me as far as character moments. So it might just be a preference. I get Davy Max's point about, you know, having a little bit more time to breathe. But I think that they made the choice deliberately to not let us breathe. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> to, really, to really push us into the corner so that we're really confronted and feel challenged. A different showrunner turns this into three seasons. Agreed. This one season into three. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, and I don't know that that would have been a good choice. No, I liked it better this way, I think. All right. Davey uh, continues. Also, that okay was what stuck with me for a while after finishing the game back when it came out. And I kind of wish that we had gotten a few extra beats of silence before cutting to black there. I figured instead of replaying one, I'm just going to dive right into part two. I never got around to it when it came out, so I figure now is a good time as any to just jump right in. John, thoughts? You're going to love it. (laughs) It's a great game. It really is. I mean, they spend a long time making it. It's a really fitting sequel. They don't take the cheap way out. They don't just write a lazy story of, oh, look at them happily ever after. It is a challenging moral story. It is a story that goes to the truth of life, like J.R. Tolkien says. It's, it's telling you a truth of the human experience. Wow. And in the same way of part one, it makes you do a lot of hard thinking. Um, that sounds pretty intense. <laughs> What's your and Brandon's plans for part two? Are you guys going to be covering that as part of the Lorehounds Plays uh, podcast? I know that he's not playing it before we do the second recording of part one. But okay. after we do that, I think he's going to start it right away. So maybe we'll just record it right away just to get it going. It's a longer game. It's, uh, okay. it's, it's a lot longer, actually. I think it's maybe 25 hours minimum, whereas the first Ooh. game is like 12 hours minimum. That's so a chunk of time. It's, it's a long game, but it's a great journey. Okay. Well, you're definitely going to put that on the, the dry erase board as one of the things that you probably It's on the cover. list. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Nice. Okay, cool. All right, uh, Duve71, also on the Discord, and who is a recent Patreon subscriber. Thank you for being a lore fiend, which is our middle tier. Um, he says, just caught up in the UK. Damn, they did it. They showed the giraffe when uh, he's got a little love-eyed smiley emoji. This was another episode. Uh, this was another episode that gave me all the feels. When I played The Last of Us when it came out in 2013, my daughter, Ellie was the same age as Ellie, and I got Joel's decision. Even then, the rational part of me recognized Joel's selfish need to hold on to Ellie, but in his mind, he's her father and she's his daughter. It was the only choice Joel had left, or it would have been round two 
on the bullet to the brain. My wife and younger daughter have watched the series cold and they didn't expect to go down like that. Part two is going to be a long wait, sad faced emoji. I don't want to hear it. We waited seven years. (laughs) I don't think they're going to lollygag. I think they're going to get right to it. Probably 2025. I don't know. Have they been saying anything? I don't. I haven't heard anything. Okay. There is. I'm wondering how they're going to handle time. Uh-huh. Because. Aging, right? Yeah, actors age. Yeah. Well, yeah. Actors age and, you know, who knows how much time is in between part one and part two. I, w- I guess I True. just won't say. Right. So, yeah. yeah don't I mean, say. how they're yeah. going to navigate that is the point. Okay. Um, and do uh, definitely write in for the season wrap up because I want to hear more of your thoughts on the, the parenting question because I don't think we really talked about this. Both John and I are parents. Um, and I don't think we really responded that much on that level. I was more grappling with uh, Joel's uh, right. inhumanity, his monstrous nature, and not really thinking about it, the parents' uh, question. So write in. Please. Well, I think that's that's a big part of where we're looking at it differently then, because I definitely factored that into my calculations is, well, okay, objectively, if you're going to go life for life, if you're going to go th- into it without emotion, if you're going to go into it as a sociopath, right? If without feeling yeah. about good or about, about guilt or anything, but you're just going to feel, you're just going to be able to look at the numbers and say, all right, this many people live if we do this, this many people live uh-huh. if we do that. Then I think it's a very easy decision. Right. Then you save the world. But if you are a father, right now that's a tough decision because now you have love involved and love is not logical. It is not. I will uh, agree with that. All right, John, that ends our feedback. Um, This was an amazing episode. Thank you all for writing in. Again, we have our episode season wrap next week. It'll drop uh, about the same time. So get your voicemails in, get your feedbacks in, jump on the Discord and uh, have some conversations and let us know. You know, if you want to write something on the Discord that you want to include it in the feedback, do let us know. Quick shout out to our patrons, our Patreons, our patrons, our subscribers on our Patreon. We cannot do this stuff that we're doing without you guys. So thank you. We have a top tier, uh, our lore masters who, who really go up above and beyond in supporting us. And we always like to give them a shout out. And they are Samartian, Cyrus, Mark H, Michelle G, Michael E, David W, Brian P, Nick W, SC, Peter O, Bettina W, Adam S, Nancy M, Lavinia T, and Dork of the Ninjas. Thank you all to our lore masters and thank you all to all of our subscribers. Again, if you are happy to uh, throw us a few bucks, head over to Patreon and uh, give us a subscription. Quick country shout out. We like to shout out uh, countries that we show that show up in our our listening uh, statistics that we have on our platform. Germany. How are you doing over there? You are 1% of our listening audience, and we appreciate you guys. Drop us a note if you're listening there. Let us know how the show is going down uh, among your uh, fellows in that region of the world. And uh, I don't know, also, you know, how do, I don't know how we get found by other people outside of the United States. It's always a mystery to me. Maybe they just find us on Apple Podcast. but would love to uh, hear your perspectives from your region of the world. So thank you, everyone in Germany who listens to us. John, uh, you want to take us through a couple of programming notes for what's happening in March? Sure, we're going nuts in March. So here's just a few highlights for today. 
like you said, we're doing the Last of Us finale uh, season wrap. Next week, that's going to come out. Definitely get your feedback in ASAP. You can also send feedback into the same email address if you want to discuss the game with Brandon and I on the Lorehounds play. And get that in ASAP as well, because we're recording the second part soon. We're doing The Mandalorian Season 3, which is coming out every Thursday. It's then so we're starting. It's so fun. It is very good. And then we're starting Ted Lasso Season 3, which is going to probably come out on Fridays, our podcast, just so we can, we, we got to space it out a little bit, you know? And, so, and it'd be great for the weekend fun, right? I mean, I often find myself in a dry spell on the weekend for any good podcast. So, you know, download it and, and enjoy it over the weekend. And next week, we're going to have our first Earth Sea Cycle episode with Marilyn Arpukila. So, Check that out uh, on our feed. We also just released our March 2nd breakfast. We talked about coffee. I told the story of Pirate Tom. And uh, we had a great time. We talked about Mad Max, too. Yeah. And uh, next month, John has um, submitted uh, eight movies to me for consideration for Millennial Madness. Uh, and I have picked three movies, and um, part of the Patreon exclusive benefit for Second Breakfast is you get to vote on what movie I'm going to watch. Well, we're both going to watch, and then we'll talk about in the April podcast. Um, and then for uh, May, March, April, May, is that right? May, we're going to go back to me for old man movies, and we'll do the whole process over again. So if you're looking for a reason to subscribe to the Patreon, uh, check out Second Breakfast, because that's where we talk about all the fun stuff that we're watching and reading and listening that we're not podcasting about, talking about life, talking about breakfast, very important meal of the mm, day, breakfast. Very true. Don't forget to check out Maester Anthony's Electric Bookaloo feed on the Hot D feed at uh, Bald Move so that you can hear us on April 13th covering an Arya chapter of A Clash of Kings. Oh, John, um, I see two hours on our raw recording uh, timer here again. We have done it again. Hopefully this will edit down to a little bit shorter. But I am so glad that you advocated for this um, series to cover it. I would have felt very left out as a podcaster if we had not been covering it. So thank you. It's been an incredible ride. And I'm really excited to, uh, really looking forward to, to breaking it all down next week with you. Well, thanks for giving me the experience of seeing it again through a new viewer's eyes, because that's been, that's been very nice too. So I'm glad we covered it. And uh, I'm looking forward to wrapping up our coverage next week, so we'll see you all then. The Lorehounds Podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. 